Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Jelani Memory, who's the co-founder and CEO of A Kid's Book About, where they make kids' books that matter, covering a wide variety of topics, which I'll get into in a second. Jelani is also the co-founder of Circle, a company that raised more than $30 million in venture capital, and he left it to start this company. He's an experienced entrepreneur, and in this episode, we talk about one of the actual topics of these books themselves, where they make books about racism and bullying and empathy and death and cancer and all these different topics that are challenging, empowering, and also very much so important. And we also talk about the business behind this company as well. So going into how they actually produce books essentially in a workshop in a day. And they have gotten the process down from 18 months of development for a book to really 30 to 45 days where they can actually get a book out, which is incredible. And the company has sold more than 150,000 copies. They're projecting 4 million to 5 million in revenue in 2020. The company is absolutely crushing it at a very crucial time, and this has been one of the most fun interviews I've done, and really the most impactful and meaningful interviews I've done with a company that's doing such great work, and I'm so excited for you to listen. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, I'm so excited to bring you Jelani Memory, co-founder and CEO of A Kid's Book About. Jelani, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Yes, and with your multi-time founder and uh, your most recent company being A Kid's Book About, I want to know what this company is and give context to people uh, about your current company. Yeah, so I started A Kid's Book About back in 2019. Um, we make challenging, empowering, and important books for kids um, on topics like cancer, racism, death, uh, soon to come loneliness. Um, we've got books out on feminism, uh, racism, anxiety, depression. Uh, so all uh, really important topics that we think um, conversations should be started between grownups and kids um, at the earliest ages. With this company as well. And I know I read one of the like the TechCrunch articles, you're saying the difficulties and one, being a person of color, founding a company and raising capital is always difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two, you're raising capital, you raise capital for a company that's a direct-to-consumer book startup uh, <laughs> on some pretty uh, <laughs> touchy subjects, let's just say. How did you decide to start this in the first place, Jelani? Yeah. Well, I, I think every startup uh, ought to come from a place that's sincere, um, and also be a thing that you, you'd build whether somebody was paying you or not, or whether you, you know, had the possibility of a of big exit or not, something that was really solving a problem that you thought was significant. And then maybe as an after effect, you know, you thought there was going to be a great outcome. Um, and so that's what this was for me. It, it came from a really simple place where I had made a book back in 2018 for my kids titled a kid's book about racism, but quite genuinely, it was just for my kids, you know, riddled with spelling errors and grammatical <laughs> errors. You know, I designed it in a week and I wrote it in another week and, um, printed one copy. It like the ambition wasn't like crazy huge. It was just to keep a conversation going with my own six kids. And, you know, 
something quite profound happened when I began to show that book to friends who were adults, teachers, therapists, you name it, um, that they, they just, uh, you know, their jaws hit the floor. Um, there was both this sort of fear of like, can, can that book exist? Like that seems inappropriate <laughs> for kids. And, and also this like, oh my gosh, I need this right now. I have to take this home and read it to my kids. And, and that surprised me quite honestly. And, and it, it helped me get a glimpse, I think, into the lives of other parents. Um, because for me as a parent, I'm trying to talk to my kids about everything all the time because my parents didn't talk to me about anything growing up. <laughs> so I make it a point. Um, and uh, as I started to get a peek into the lives of other parents and then also to, into my own uncomfortability around certain topics, I was like, you know, I've sort of unwittingly created this thing that can also be more than just this book, a kid's book about, you can literally fill in anything underneath it and it tells you exactly what the book's about. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mince words. <laughs> it's genius, by the way. <laughs> it, well, yeah, genius. And other than the fact that I had no idea what I was doing, like I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to create a series. I just made a book. Yeah. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, you know, originally it was supposed to be the kid's book about racism. And I thought that was far too pretentious. I was like, oh, well, it can't be the kid. Like, it's not the only story about racism. It's just my story. Hence a kid's book about, um, but I think that's been really instrumental as we began to build the brand to go, you know what, we're going to take these stories on really tough or important topics and we're going to put them out into the world knowing that they're not the only story about it. It is just a kid's book about, it's not the kid's book about, um, and we can represent these first person stories just like I had done with mine for my kids. And, and it was a massive bet that it would work at all. I keep saying that because, you know, when we launched, we had 12 books and, you know, titles like a kid's book about adventure and also a kid's book about cancer. Yeah. And, you know, um, the, the books also cost 25 bucks when we launched and could only be bought on our website. Uh, that was not a foregone conclusion that that would work. And yet, um, it didn't have to be because it was so important for me to make those books if only they existed for my kids. Um, now, of course, I did the diligence around trying to create a business model that was going to work and succeed, hopefully, <laughs> and be you know capital efficient. But you know, going out and fundraising, um, there were some investors. They wouldn't laugh at me because I have too much credibility for them to laugh at me. You know, from yeah. my past experience. But it was sort of like, I mean, you don't really think this is venture, do you? You know, and I can't tell you how many times I got told that. And, and I sort of would just go, you know, I don't really think you understand what I'm up to here. Yeah. The reality is if the problem I'm solving is real, which I believe it is, it's huge. And guess what's never going away? Parenting. <laughs> it's just never going away. <laughs> what? There's going to be more kids again and again <laughs> in parenting? <laughs> it's crazy. With that too, Jelani, one, there's, okay, there's a lot to dig into in your story with this company, with the last company, with uh, so many things. But one thing you just mentioned though, with the book itself, in that first book you wrote just for your kids, how did you decide on what the the content was? Like what what did you want, actually want to tell them in this book? You know, um, there were some challenges there, but in, in a lot of ways it was quite easy. Um, cause again, remember I wasn't going to publish it. I wasn't going to do anything other than it go to my kids. And so I was thinking, yeah. well, what do my kids need to know about me and my experience with directly with racism? And, and a lot of that anchored actually in just to go, I want my kids to understand my experience as a person of color, very directly tied to my skin is a very specific color. Um, yeah. and that might seem sort of silly, but for kids, um, they're very practical in that way. 
Um, and so I, I wanted them to understand like my dad is black, my mom is white, which makes me this brown color, right? Yeah. Which then naturally went to, well, then how do I refer to myself, right? Because my skin is not actually black, right? It's not the color black. So I talk about myself as being mixed or biracial or a person of color or African-American or black, right? Yeah. And now I've just sort of unveiled for them and now, you know, tens of thousands of people, which is kind of cool, um, a way of framing how to talk about race and specifically people of color um, in a way that, you know, I don't know a lot of white six or seven year olds having that conversation with their parent, but it's huge and it's, and it's important, right? Um, and then from there, it was just this natural sort of progression of going, okay, I've got this skin color. How does that affect my experience? Let's talk about that. Now we're going to introduce the word racism as a way to qualify what some of those experiences are like. Um, and that was very important for me, for my kids to be able to name it, not just to call it being mean or not nice or rude to be able to go, you know what? That's different. That's actually racism. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and to, to empower them with being able to use that word and then go into, you know, really a positive message at the end of the book around difference and that it isn't just about ignoring difference, right? Being colorblind, but actually valuing difference um, and seeing the benefits of what we get when people are different and not just, just like us. Uh, and then the very tail end of the book, um, at the you know, last few pages, it's about going, when you see racism, call it that. And I think there's a lot of power in that because our, our society, you know, for grownups has, has basically said, you know, like, uh, nobody's willing to cop to anything being racist that they've ever done. Right. Like yeah. it's crazy to me. And, and I just thought it can't possibly be that way. And so empowering kids with being able to use that word about certain actions and words and statements, um, and, and, and case in point, you know, I'm watching the debate, the debate the other night and my, my nine-year-old son goes, is Donald Trump racist? <laughs> <laughs> of which I quickly responded, yes, yes, he is. <laughs> right. Um, because he has that vocabulary now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, that's and to that point. I mean, words are so powerful. And I, I like what you mentioned uh, about your story because mine is very similar. Like my dad is black. My mom is white. And, you know, people would say you're black or other things like that. It's like, well, I'm mixed and yeah. I'm a person of color, you know, because in my mind, it's like, well, I'm equally both. <laughs> mm -hmm. And people who see you, that a lot of people I've, I've talked to and friends we've had even for a long time were like, wait, your mom's white? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> and like, they don't even think about it because sometimes it's hard to tell. Uh, but there is like having a word to the feelings and emotions and things that have happened. And you, you can see that for kids, especially for anyone is powerful, but especially for kids, they're just getting started in this world to like, Oh yeah, that is racism. Like that is a powerful yeah. thing. Or you can put a word to it and they can associate things and look for things. And, uh, from that first book, I mean, what did your, what did your kids tell you about it? So my kids had a few immediate responses. Um, first response was, this is cool, dad. Can I make my own book? And I was like, oh, hmm. that's good. I was not expecting that response, um, but rad, cool, awesome. Uh, so my follow-up question was, what do you want to make a book about? Because um, now, now I've got this a kid book about, right? Like we can make a kid's book about anything, which I, re I it literally it took me that moment to realize that's what the book title was signaling the yeah. idea of series, right? That had not crossed my mind ever. 
Um, and so my, <laughs> my uh, daughter, Ella, she's like, I want to make a kid's book about ice cream. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, like fun, <laughs> of course, you know, like sure. Kid. Kids think about ice cream. It has to adults actually. Yeah. My, my stepdaughter joy was like, I want to make a kid's book about divorce. And I was like, Oh, this just got real. Like, wow. Wow. Yeah. And you know, the, the neurons in my brain start firing and I realize, you know, a handful of things. Um, one is that my stepdaughter has now taken the, the most traumatic experience she's ever gone through and is now volunteering to write about it and share it with other people. Whoa. Right. Yeah. The second is, is that she's also sort of grokked the idea that, that I couldn't even grok, which is, this is a series of books on hard topics, right? Yeah. <laughs> like it looked about divorce, obvious, right? Um, and the other one was, is that she felt the permission, the book somehow granted her the permission to enter into a uncomfortable space that was not identical to mine, that was uncomfortable for her, not uncomfortable for me, right? Yeah. And I like... I can't tell you how much from that initial interaction I have pulled out principles from a brand perspective for how we think about our books, how we make our books, how we pursue specific topics, because this idea of permission to enter into an uncomfortable space, I can tell you every teacher, therapist, grown up, adult, parent, caregiver, auntie, uncle, grandpa, you name it, they want to enter into those spaces with their kids that are in their lives and they're struggling and they don't know how to do it because you ask a kid how their day was and they're like, it was fine. What'd you do? Stuff, you know, <laughs> like, not, like, like that's 90% of the conversations with my kids. So all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, my kid's inviting me into the most vulnerable place. And not only that, they're like ready to share about it, like write about it, talk about it. And that like has been this amazing power of our little kids books on these hard topics. It has created this permission for kids to enter into vulnerable and, and difficult spaces and to talk about them. I think it's, it's really interesting to see now with the different types of media or just mediums we have for expression and to get words out and to organize things. I think one of the things I heard recently about, you know, if you write consistently, uh, like clear writing, it forces you to have clear thinking because you're organizing mm -hmm. your thoughts and ideas into then this this writing, whether it be a book, a blog post, et cetera. And in this way, it's like, well, yeah, it forces you if you're going to write the book and you're going to read the book even, it forces you to organize your thoughts and really think deeply about what you want to say, especially for kids participating in this. I think that's that's really powerful. From From that, you talked about a few different things here, one being the topics side of it with I mean, with your business, how do you go about the topics you decide to write books about? Obviously, a number of authors on your platform, but how do you decide on the topics themselves? Yeah. Um, you, you know, look, I can give you some fancy startup answer, um, but but the reality is, is it's me. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm picking authors. I'm acquiring them. I'm, I'm deciding often um, what topic to pursue somebody for or when somebody comes to us, you know, deciding whether they're the person to write about it or not. And, and, and here's how I qualify that or justify that, uh, is, um, I, I sort of stumbled into this, uh, uncharted territory of making these kinds of books, um, for kids 
and and also uh, you know I'm I'm a dad of six kids. I've got a blended family, four stepkids, you know, uh two biological kids. Um they're all different shades uh <laughs> and um also have my own family history of being abandoned by my dad and you know having my mom, you know, work as a NICU nurse and watching, you know, more children die, you know, as I grew up than, you know, um you know you could ever imagine. Uh, so I have all these mix of influences uh, and, and also that entrepreneurial experience. So as I, as I walked in to think about what do I want to see in this collection, it's driven a lot by what do I want for my kids, but it's also driven by my, by my underrepresentedness that there are one, two, or three publishing CEOs who look like me on planet earth. Um, yeah. and, and. Like that, what I bring to the table from an experience standpoint, from a point of view standpoint, um, uh, I don't think there's anybody like me and that doesn't mean I'm special. It just means I have this unique set of things that I'm bringing to it to solve and think about the problem in a different way. Um, and, and the one thing I get told about my business is this is brilliant. I can't believe it doesn't already exist. And I go, the one reason it doesn't is because nobody like me has come along to do it because you can't have a white 45 year old, you know, male CEO (laughs) who worked at Penguin for 15 years, he's just not going to come up with this, or he's not going to have the guts to step into the place. Or even if he does, he doesn't have the credibility to do it. You know what I'm saying? And that's, I think that's really important. So as we've gone through this process, I've handpicked people to write books who otherwise would never get a book deal not because they're not remarkable and their story's not remarkable, but because they don't check all the boxes, right? They didn't go to Stanford. They didn't haven't written a book before. They're not a good writer. They don't have a huge platform to sell the book. And I've said sort of, that's all garbage. I want somebody with an owned personal story that they can speak from with authenticity and truth. And, and so we go after those people to speak on those topics and, you know, uh, it's, it's worked up to this point. Now, having launched 27 books, our customers now tell us, Hey, will you do a book about this? Will you do a book about addiction? Will you do a book about loneliness? Will you do a book about PTSD? Will you do a book about Alzheimer's? And sometimes out of those conversations, we actually bring those folks on to write about the book because of the personal experience with that topic. Um, knowing that we don't need all the other criteria because of how we make books internally and collaborate with authors um, around these own stories. So that's really that's really driven us and and guided us this this far. I don't know how sustainable <laughs> that is into the future, but I do know it gives us an edge and that me personally, I am willing to take a lot of risk to go into places that frankly, nobody else wants to go into that. Any, any group of five people sitting in a room who would have to make the decision together would all say, this is probably a too risky of an idea. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> you know, me, I'm just like, ah, it's worth a swing. Like, let's just try it. You know? <laughs> yeah. And there's a few things I want to highlight there. I mean, one being just, this is a perfect example of like founder market fit mm. where you are the founder that is 
perfect for this market in particular. And I think that's the reason I want to bring that up is for other entrepreneurs out there, certain ideas, or, you know, uh, they say like, some things are taken already or, or whatever it may be in terms of starting a company. Like there's oftentimes something where like, you have the background to do this company. So you yeah. should do this company, you know, if, if assuming you want to, obviously, but uh, th there is an example where that would be, that'd be perfect. And then this is one of those examples of like, it seems like such a good fit. You have the diverse family, you have your background, you also have the experience with, with Circle as well. And like, there's so much that goes into then you making this company is like, oh yeah, Jelani should do this company. And it reminds me too of like Tristan Walker with Bevel. When he created mm -hmm. that. It was another example of like, yeah, that's, good person to start the company with the experience he had, his background, like perfect. And people should definitely think about that. And one of the other things you had mentioned is, you know, when you think about these launches, what goes into the launch of a new book, Jelani? Yeah. So the first thing we do is we try and find that, that author, that storyteller, that owned voice. Um, and, and sometimes the topic come first, sometimes the, the person comes first and we go, we'd love to do a book with you. We just don't know what that book is yet. Um, and, and, and navigating that sort of fun sometimes. Uh, so we bring them on, get them on contract, and then we do something really novel and unique. And this is a bit of our secret sauce, not so secret though, um, <laughs> is we spend one day with the author to write the book, a single solitary day. Wow. We call it our workshop model and we workshop the book. Uh, with that author and we walk out of the room or the virtual room, you know, if it be um, with a first draft manuscript, we've now done this over 30 some times. I can tell you it is magical. Um, <laughs> uh, we have had folks who have published best-selling books say it is the most fun they've ever had writing ever. Um, and we've had folks who've never written anything also say, I can't believe we just wrote a book. And that's every time, even our team, we sort of pinch ourselves to go, Hey guys, we just wrote a book today. Like <laughs> we wrote another book. Isn't that so cool? And it's not just any book. It's a book on a consequential topic, right? Yeah. From an owned voice and own story. And, and that really came out of my background, you know, doing freelance work, um, filmmaking, uh, and storytelling, uh, for brands. Um, and how you work with that client, right? You don't let the client do all that work. You collaborate with them. They bring what they have to the table and you bring what you have to the table. What I realized was we were going to be really good at design, story structure, sort of narrative arcs and asking questions like kids. What the authors could bring were their own personal stories, their wisdom, their facts, their their themselves, right? And when you combine those two things, it's actually not too complicated to write a book in a single day. Um, and that doesn't mean the book's done at that point, but the bulk yeah. of the writing has taken place. From there, we let the author spend a couple weeks with the book, um, mostly just rereading it and making word changes and doing some some light editing. It's mostly to make sure that any any fingerprints that we've left on the book that feel too much like our voice and not enough like theirs, they get to sort of correct and change. Then we spend two weeks with the book and it's really about tightening that up from a product perspective so that this is ready to go out to kids. And of course there's the, the developmental editing, there's the copy editing, there's you know all the different bits and pieces. And then we design a cover. Um, it's not always the final cover, but we <laughs> want to sort of pick a visual direction for the book. And then we get that puppy up on pre-order, like lickety split. We're talking like 10, 15, 20 days after that, as soon as we can get a proof copy that we can photograph 
um, because we want to start to test it market-wise, right? Like this is a business. So we got to go, are people going to buy this book? Um, so we, you know, we launch a kid's book about death and go, will people buy this? And of course, what's great is they do, they come and whether they're a current customer or a new customer, uh, then we get a sense of how well that book will sell. Uh, we do the internal design, we collaborate back and forth with the author and just to know about our books, right? We're not, we're not doing a typical children's book that's 32 pages and highly illustrated. Um, I think every kid's book is exactly that. There's a reason why that is. It's just sort of this factory of making the same kids' books over and over again. They either have white kids or animals or some combination of thereof, where yeah. there's some principle that you should share or, you know, you feel your emotions or, or whatever, right? <laughs> right. Um, we were like, no, nah, we're not going to do that. So we use type, design, color, and layout to communicate. Um, and that means, uh, most of our books do not have any pictures, any illustrations, but they are heavily designed. What I love about kids, no kids ever ask, where are all the pictures? They just take it for what it is and they know good design when they see it. Every adult goes, oh my God, I can't believe I bought a book with no pictures. What have I done? Will my kid even listen to this? And of course they do and they engage and a meaningful conversation ensues afterwards, but I've got a little ahead of myself. So. <laughs> make a print order for that book. Uh, you know, that turn is four to six weeks, get it in a warehouse and start to ship it out to customers. And of course then, you know, uh, not only we've been re- making revenue off of pre-orders, but we're also booking new revenue and getting feedback from customers about what they think, what they feel about the book, um, and seeing how it fits into the rest of the collection. Right. Um, so using, you know, uh, like we just had a customer write in and this is so cool. Um, their kid had read a kid's book about racism and a kid's book about feminism. And, and they were like, I can't believe that women or girls can be treated this way. But they were like, is it true that black women are treated worse because they're a woman and also they're black? And the parent was like, my kid has intuited intersectionality from these two books on their own. Right. And like, that's how remarkable kids are. If you just provide them with the actual words and the resources to, to engage with these topics. Right. Yeah. Um, And so that drives us to create more books, you know, sort of once we start to get feedback from customers. And on that note too, Jelani, with the thing you just mentioned about them engaging with the topics themselves, I mean, how do you, you mentioned the narrative arc, but what is then some components to make these engaging books that, you know, they don't have pictures, they're just very beautiful with great story. Like what is, what goes into that? What are some few things that go into that side of things? I'm just curious. Yeah. A few principles that we have that guide us. Um, First is every story of ours is personal. It comes from a person. And so Um, we don't claim to be saying everything there is to say about racism or feminism or cancer or any one of our topics. They are direct from an individual or a collection of individuals from a personal perspective and being anchored there, I think creates a lot of empathy for kids. They feel like they're talking with somebody to some extent when they read one of our books. Um, the second is, um, to not pull any punches, to just be straight with kids, to just tell them the truth, right? To tell them the thing that every adult in their life is too afraid to say or bring up or address. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm positive that there are moments in our books where we catch parents flat footed and they're like, oh my God, I can't believe the book just said that. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, <laughs> right? Like the kids are totally fine with it. It's the parents who are like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And our books want to guide them through that, right? Um, 
but we we don't want to pull any punches. We want to just give kids this sort of straight truth. That doesn't mean our books are inappropriate for kids. We think they're highly appropriate. It just means that when we need to use a word like um, feminism or racism or death or dying or disorder um, or chemotherapy, we use those words. We help kids understand those, but those are the words that they're going to bump up against as they navigate these topics. Um, and then the last is, is to not make them all a total Debbie Downer, right? Like, um, the books aren't all doom and gloom, even our most difficult of topics, um, whether that's a kid's book about God or kids book about death, um, or kids book about anxiety is we add moments of levity in there that feel real and authentic that come from the author's own personal story. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully our hope is by the end of the book, we've sort of taken all those elements to include them in, to provide an experience that is a, a jumping off point for an incredible conversation with the grownup that they're reading with. And, and we have just heard back from thousands of grownups, right? Teachers, parents, aunties, uncles, you name it. Yeah. Who go, I can't believe how thoughtful my kid was already about the topic after reading the book. And they started to share stories and experiences and they asked really thoughtful questions. They said, I've never talked with my kid in this way about this topic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And that's, that's, that's our one goal is in some ways we don't sell kids books we sell the conversation that happens afterwards. Yeah, it's uh, just like Inception. It's leading to the next thing. <laughs> <laughs> this is the starting point. You're yeah. like, here, this is, here. we're going to, yeah. on, the, on the front, we have this beautiful book, this story, but on the back end, it's this conversation you have that impacts your life for, you know, forever. And one thing I can't just gloss over this, uh, I know you talked a little bit about it, but this one day workshop, I'm kind of obsessed now. Mm. What, what, I mean, what, how, what, how is that structured? How is that day structured to get the most out of that, that day and get a lot of productive work done from that, that you, obviously there's more on the back end, but take me through that one day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, remember before we started this call, I said, there's no secrets. And so yeah. uh, I, there is nothing secret about this process. Um, uh, I hope other people take it on, right? It's like a, it's our, it's our open Tesla patents, right? Like copy <laughs> yeah. our, our IP, right? Please. Here you go. Please, please. Um, we started every workshop with um, an overview of the company. I have a deck that I use and it's basically the same pitch deck that I use for investors. It's like, here's who we are. I know they already know who we are, but it sort of all gets us pointing in the same direction to go. We're a different kind of kids book company. Here's how we think about the market. Here's how we think about the kids. Here's how we think about the, the demo that we're hitting. Here's what's valuable to us, right? Underrepresented authors, difficult topics, you know, straightforward language, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then we go through their story deck. We developed 14 principles of story. And I don't want that to sound super fancy because it's not. Um, it was mostly us having done my book and <laughs> one other book and then going we should probably codify some principles <laughs> that are what we think these books should be um from a story perspective and so i sat down one afternoon and was like okay what are those things it was like always be honest um use the actual words um be vulnerable um you know like don't get over complicated so like really basic stuff that we're just guiding principles for us to go do we feel like we're getting too complicated here? Do we feel like we're using the actual words? Are we being vulnerable enough inside this book? Um, it does it feel like it's universal, like it, it could apply to a five-year-old, you know, in the Midwest or a seven-year-old in LA? Like that's how we think about it. Yeah. And then we move from there to go into personal stories. And this is really the crux of the workshop. 
our team participates in the workshop and I mean, everybody does not in every single workshop. We usually have two to three team members from our side, sometimes a designer an editor and me, any mix thereof. Um, and, and, and we bring our whole selves to that process with the author. We tell our personal stories first, usually 10 to 15 minutes a piece as it deals with the topic. So take one like, like death or Alzheimer's or creativity or cancer. Um, or most recently we did one on sexual abuse and we address our own stories as it relates to that topic. And sometimes that's, I don't have any direct experience with this, but a friend, but, uh, uh, a parent, um, uh, a family member, <laughs> or I'm coming to this with very little and I don't, I want to know, but I don't know. And here's all the stigmas that I have in place. Right. Um, but what we're trying to do there and we're very clear with the author is we're basically, you know, we've got our hand on the, the nest thermostat and we're turning up the temperature of vulnerability. Yeah. We are making the context a lot less we're going to make a book together and more group therapy, right? And once three people have gone and you've got some tears and people like really sharing their stories and being really vulnerable, by the time you get to the author, right, all bets are off now. The author is compelled to bring their whole self, their whole story to it. But now they feel safe to do that as well. And I think that's really important. Um, imagine trying to write a book on a vulnerable, very difficult, sticky topic and have the author be cagey, feel like they don't know what to say or what to write or what to share or what not to share. Like it's not going to happen. It's going to be a disaster. So us going there and sharing our stories is very important. Then we get into the author's story and it's just this remarkable journey where we spend an hour navigating through their story, asking questions, trying to give them the space to feel. And sometimes that means just stopping and crying and just being on a zoom call together. You know what I mean? Like, like for real, yeah. like it, yeah. it, it's not irregular. That's actually frequent. Um, and then us trying to sort of feverishly take notes and go, what are the core bits from their story that have to make it into the book that also spark bits from our own stories, other experiences, other things that we feel important. And then we also start to collect a list of questions, right? What do kids want to know? What, what questions will kids have? And then finally, when we go into the writing process and it's just as simple as opening a Google doc, giving an invite to every single person on that zoom call. Cause all of our workshops are zoom calls now. And I set the ground rules. Here are the things that I say. And again, I'm just like giving away the whole recipe. So again, penguin random house, feel free to steal all of this. <laughs> um, uh, the ground rules are the author holds the e-break. Everybody gets to write. Everybody gets to contribute, no matter who you are, whether you're the intern or the CEO or the author, everybody gets to contribute to the content. Um, we're all co-equals here, but the author gets to go, I wouldn't say it like that. No, I actually think it's really this, or what if we tried this? And they get the comfortability of knowing that they can stop the train anytime they want to. I'm mixing my metaphors here. Um, <laughs> while also not the pressure of staring at a blank screen with three other people watching and going, please make a book now, right? Like, I mean, yeah, like, no, no pressure, yeah, but yeah. Yeah. No pressure, <laughs> right. It's hard enough to do alone. Forget about doing it in a group. And so what I'll yeah. often do is I'll kick off the, the writing session with go, what if we started like this and I'll just write something. And what that does is it breaks the ice of the page to go. It's okay. If we write something and then erase it, it's okay. Like 
nobody's going to be mad. Nobody's going to be upset. Uh, and also we got to kind of see what's going to work and what's not going to work. And sometimes the authors come in and they're like, oh my gosh, I really wanted to try this. And we're like, great, go for it. And we still hold them to, does this work for a kid? Does it connect with them? We go back to those story principles. And if it doesn't, then, then we, we edit, we erase, we try something new. Um, and that's about bringing our whole selves to the process. But we spend two and a half hours then writing a book together. Um, and you know, we are thinking about everything from page count to word count to, you know, is that word going to make sense to a kid or do we have to have an asterisk that actually gives a definition for that word? Um, and then once we've gone through and done the rigorous process of just making a book together, we have the author do something that we think is, is really important and really special. We have them read it. And we do story time. Uh, we sit there like little kids and we have the author <laughs> read it to us. And the criteria is if a kid who needed this book the most read this book today, would it change their life? And that's a, that's a really high bar, but it is the most important bar because that's what we're going after. We're not just going after um, the cat in the hat, right? Like as cool as green eggs and ham is, um, I don't know any kids' lives changed by green eggs and ham. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, like uh, it might teach you how to try something new, but actually I don't think it really teaches kids that. Um, our books are trying to change kids' lives. And so we have to sit there and listen to the book and go, man, if I had this when I was six, it would have changed my life, right? And that's that's the, the um, emotional gravity that we bring to each one of our books. Do I feel like we achieve that every time? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm the best judge of that, but that's yeah. the intention and that's the goal. And if we hear it and we listen to it and we go, yeah, that's it. That That's rad. What's great is like, that's just as much an accomplishment for us as it is for the author in that process. And what we all get to say afterwards, which I've already said is, we just wrote a book. How cool is that? Like, that's awesome. Yeah, that's so amazing. <laughs> uh, and, and with this too, you always hear about getting customer feedback, user feedback as soon as possible. At what point do kids read these books? Is it only when it published or do you get feedback along the way from kids themselves? Uh, well, you know, uh, in my house, my kids usually get early access. Just That's what I was going to say. You know, <laughs> I think so, I figured. some beta testing there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, to be honest, I'm sure we ought to be more rigorous about getting the books to kids or, or earlier. Um, uh, we, 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 we don't typically, um, usually it's just when it's published. Um, we try and get some feedback either from a professional in the space who, who might have some good feedback. We, you know, we did that with our emotions book with a few child psychologists. Um, but, but otherwise, you know, we sort of ship it and, and that in some ways the shipping it is our beta test to go, yeah. do, do people like this book? <laughs> you know well, yeah. And you mentioned, yeah, that's a good, that's a great point actually. And then one thing too is, uh, with this, you can create the absolute best book, Jelani, but if it doesn't get in the hands of people, it's kind of a moot point. And so you've sold 150,000 books, which is incredible. 27 books released. Thank you. How have you gone about growing this? Because the more people this gets out to, the more impact it can have. Like, How have you gone about growing the company itself even to get to that 150,000 book sold point. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we haven't really talked about the, the business business model side of it. Yeah. Um, but that was very important to me. Uh, and I'll talk a little bit about my experience at circle and how that led into how I construct the business model for this business. You know, with circle, we were hardware, software, cloud, 
you know, firmware. I mean, it was like, it was complicated, man. <laughs> um, and, and I led the product and all, I wasn't thinking technically about anything. I was just like, I want the product to do this because based on what I understand about parents and what their needs are, it needs to do this in this way. And we constructed all of our product out of story first, technical second, um, uh, which meant sort of what is the story of how this needs to fit into a parent's life as they raise their kids in a digital world. Um, and so that led us to a lot of really complicated technical spaces, but with Greatest, we had a really fantastic technical team who could produce really incredible solutions to all of those sort of product needs. Um, but you know, like we did the, we, we did the thing that a lot of, you know, hardware startups have done across the last decade, which is, you know, it requires a lot of capital. You've got to spend yeah. on team and marketing and manufacturing and blah, 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 blah. Um, so, you know, we raise, you know, a million to get out the gate, which took us like three years to raise, by the way. Um, and then, you know, uh, we, we got to, I think like 10 million in revenue on that million hardware software company, um, and then raised our series a, um, I can't even remember what that round was somewhere around $10 million. Um, and it was off to the races to try and scale. Um, is the problem was, is our economics were always upside down. It always cost us too much to manufacture the, the, the stuff. The CAC was always too high. The team needed to be too big to, to manage all the different bits and pieces. And then you add on the B2B sort of relationships with, you know, our partners at T-Mobile and Netgear and Sky. And then it was like, oh, now we need teams to manage the relationships. I mean, it just got really complicated. Yeah. And, and it was what the business needed. Right. And then we raised this monster round of $20 million for series B because the business genuinely needed it. Right. It wasn't, this wasn't a we work situation. Um, the, the thing that always frustrated me, I think was I could never, I could never just make a thing directly. And I'm like, I'm like an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. Like I want to touch everything yeah. and you know, I'm useless when it comes to the technical side of things. Like I can't code, I can't, you know, manufacture, I can't make like molds or anything like that. Um, and so I, I, it always frustrated me that when I wanted to see an idea through, I couldn't just prototype it on my own. Like I, I could only get so far. Um, and so that was sort of like thing one that I kept for later to go, if I ever do this again, I'm going to make sure that if I want to make something, I can make it soup to nuts just myself if I need to. Okay. Thing one. Yep. Thing two was we were always in the red, always in the red. And, and when you start raising venture capital, then they're like, yeah, like keep staying in the red. This is awesome. <laughs> um, which always, Growth, yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Which I was always like, I think there's a way for us to sell things and make more money than we're losing. Like I go, I just think we can engineer the business in that way. And I, like, I, I wouldn't get laughed out of rooms, but it was sort of like this, like, that's not what we're doing right now. Jelani. It was like, yeah, but I feel like we should be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a novel concept. I know making money is uh, a weird thing, Jelani, but yeah, in, in that world, it's definitely a bit different. Yeah. So that was another thing to go. I want to, I want to make more money than it costs me to make a thing. Can I construct a business model if I ever get to do this again in the future? Which that was the hope is, you know, again, entrepreneurs, entrepreneur, I love building stuff. I always knew I wanted to do another thing as well. Um, and then, you know, I, I guess the last thing was, was this idea of like creating as a small, efficient team that was fairly a flat structure where everybody wore multiple hats. And um, there was a, a huge emphasis on values and creativity and um, bringing our whole selves to work, not just our, our, our suit and tie selves, you know? Um, 
And so when I set about to, to launch Kids Book About, because I, I left Circle to go launch this business and with the blessing of Circle and I got to consult for Circle for a year after that and still invest all my stock on schedule and all the good things. Like it was a really generous offer that they didn't have to offer me, but um, uh, it gave me the bandwidth to, to sort of scaffold up this business in a year. And so when it came to the model, I wanted us to be hyper cash efficient. And so I won't go into all the ins and outs, but printing yeah. was always going to be a huge issue, right? How do I make sure that a bunch of cash is not sitting in a warehouse floor? Um, and how do I print books at the volume that I need to? And so we ended up structuring this strategic partnership to basically not ever have to pay for inventory up front, to never be left holding the bag until a whole entire year later after we print it. And then if we do sell that inventory, we, we pay for it on a net 30 basis at the close of every month. So what I've just described to you was basically the number one reason why every investor invested was, was wait a second, <laughs> you're not paying for inventory. You're just basically taking customers cash and giving it to the people who <laughs> printed the books. Uh, they were like, yeah, that's a great idea. I was like, I know. Um, so that's how we solved that problem. And then it was, you know, how big does this team really need to be? And, and, and no kidding, you know, we were three people all the way up until May um, of, of 2020, um, like really hyper small team. And of course, you know, working with some, uh, some partners, uh, you know, on fulfillment, on printing, on, you know, um, ad buy inventory, but I wanted to have just not an elite team because I think that's a, a misnomer. I wanted to have a, a generalist team, folks like me who just wanted to do uh, 10 different things as opposed to one specific thing. And then, you know, we had no technical anything like we're on Shopify, man. And like, yeah. I, I modify the theme on Shopify. Uh, it's not, um, any more complicated than that. Uh, um, uh, it, we didn't want to have a, a heavy overhang where we needed to pay, you know, six developers, a hundred, you know, 50 K a year just to keep the lights on. Right. Like we wanted it to be really simple. Um, and then, you know, the bookmaking process, we wanted that to be hyper simple. Thus was born the workshop model where it was like, how do we take what's typically an 18 month process and truncate that potentially into a 30 or 45 day process. And I think we've done that to great effect. Um, and then when I went to investors, you know, a lot of them were like, it sounds like you don't need our money. And I was like, here's why I need your money. One, um, I do need to pay my team. So that's thing yeah. one. Uh, yep. Thing two is I want to basically dump all the rest of it into marketing. Um, we've got a great product. We've got a great model for inventory. We've got a great team that's really sort of, uh, just really efficient and creating things. Um, and we can spend all the rest on Facebook ads and we've got the margin to sustain a really high CAC because we're not spending that money anywhere else. Yeah. And we're going to come out swinging, um, so that when we start marketing and this was really from day one, it's going to look like we're spending penguin random house dollars. And to be quite frank, as I've talked to other publishing CEOs, when I mention the numbers that we're spending on marketing, they're like, wait, what? That's not your marketing for <laughs> that. Like that's what you're spending a month. They're like, that's what we're spending a year, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, um, which also meant the very last thing we were going to be a direct consumer company. I wanted that relationship with our customers. I wanted to not have to license any of our IP away. And, uh, I, I, I wanted all that revenue to be quite frank. 
right? Because when you're getting in, like normal publishers, they're licensing content for overseas to other publishers and they're making a small percentage off of that. Um, and then also it's all wholesale relationships. And when you're doing wholesale exclusively, which is every publisher, because none of them have direct businesses, it's all Amazon, Barnes and Noble and Target and Walmart and Costco. Um, you are, you are steeply discounting those books between 45% to upwards of 60%, um, off of list price. And that is just like their normal steady state because they don't have direct businesses. Us being 99% direct, um, meant that we were getting all that top line revenue and, and thus our margins were, were able to sustain a much higher marketing spend. And so when all said and done, you know, now we're, you know, just under 10 people, um, you know, it's likely that we'll finish the year. You know, my hope is somewhere between, um, you know, four to $5 million in revenue from 2020, um, with every single one of my pre-seed investor dollars, um, in the bank account, um, as a break even and or profitable business. Um, like that's really cool and, <laughs> and was a big bet to go, can I do a thing that, almost seems silly, uh, or at least seems silly to every sort of venture capitalist I ever interacted with back when I was at circle, um, that now seems like it's like, you know, with the demise of, of WeWork, with the collapse of the IPO of Casper, um, with all the troubles that all the hardware and or direct consumer businesses are having, um, the days of not being, you know, break even or profitable they're over, man. Um, and <laughs> I'm glad we started our journey in that place. Yeah. And I just want to highlight again, so many different aspects of this that go into making this work and into what it is today. And you mentioned some of those things, so many things that really executing on things you believe in, almost like the first principles, like, hey, we know this. We know that in terms of our customer acquisition costs, we can have a higher one because of our model and how we're doing this, the relationships we've made to get this as well. And then understanding that also, I imagine the LTV is going to be high as you continue to pump out books and they yeah. want the series, you know? So I assume that goes into it as well when looking at the CAC to LTV ratio as well. And so many different aspects of that that make it a very, very appealing business that also then has that component of like the core is you're literally helping change the lives of kids. Uh, and that's something you said for the mission because people want to get involved with companies that have a mission. I mean, it's just, I've seen it over and over again from founders I've interviewed on this show, especially ones who have really, really mission driven, either saving lives or impacting in some way. It's like, how'd you get your first hires? Well, people want to join us because of yeah. the mission itself. And that's, there's something to be said for that as well. And, and one of the last things I just want to ask about is I know we talked before the interview about potentially getting an audio, doing podcasts. How are you thinking through that side of things, Jelani? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll unveil the five-year plan. Um, it's, it's really about, and again, the, the luck, and this is really the right word luck, um, of, uh, titling our books, a kid's book about, um, you get far enough into that series and all of a sudden people are like, Oh, you should do a kid's podcast about, and you're yeah. like, yeah, yeah. Like, right. thanks. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, we should do that. And then you sort of realize that that can sort of be anything you want it to be as well. And then you start to go, huh, 
well, maybe not just podcasts, like maybe a kid's show about, right? Like that'd be cool to pitch Netflix. And then, you know, like, uh, you know, there's, there's so many different permutations of that. And so for us in, in the very immediate future, we are looking at audio and video as two other media formats to move into, to, to tell challenging, empowering and important stories for kids. Um, and think up and down the age spectrum, right? So for zero to five, as well as for 10 plus, um, and what the needs of those kids are and the kind of stories, not just they want to hear, but will be life-changing for them to hear at that life stage. Um, and, and again, quite frankly, like this kind of media is just not getting made. Um, yeah. so it's not like there's a ton of competition of like other folks making really hard to stomach content for kids. <laughs> um, like Disney's not interested in that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so there's, uh, I, I have a lot of freedom in talking about it, knowing like, it's not going to be a thing that Nickelodeon's going to follow us into. They're just not. Um, and, and also the, the acumen that it would take to do that authentically, um, as Nickelodeon, mm, that's, you know, like they just can't, they don't have the credibility to do that. So yeah. those are the two places that we're going. We're really excited about it. And we're thinking really expansive about it. Um, mostly back to that mission of telling important stories for kids and meeting them where they're at. And, and quite frankly, like our books cost $19.95. Like I don't want just these stories to be available to kids and or parents who can pay the the, the toll, if you will, um, yeah. which is why I love audio and the accessibility of that. Um, and then we've got some creative ideas up our sleeves for um, video as, as we think about building out products there as well. Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand that, you know, when you have the mission, you understand really well who your target audience is. And like, you understand that at the core, it's, it's storytelling. Well, then there's just so many other mediums, you can get the word out about it, right? I mean, there, you can just play with that you starting in books, but then it can really branch off into other things. And I think about media a lot, just because that's kind of media empire I'm, I'm building and running. It's like, yeah, I started with podcasts. But I mean, these go to blogs, they go to newsletters, videos. I mean, there's so many different channels, if you understand who your audience is, and you can reach them in that way as well. And, and one of the things I just want to ask before we kind of close is for others interested in what you're doing. I mean, how can people get involved or what are you looking for help with right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the easiest ways, um, you know, write an email to Jelani at uh, a kidsbookabout.com um, and I will answer it because um, I'm not so high and mighty or important that I can't answer emails. Um, uh, and and quite frankly, um, I've, I've acquired people uh, for, for books um, and or future podcasts um, from folks who've just cold emailed me with, hey, I have an idea. And for, for me, it's all about authenticity. Are you that owned voice that that, that story should come from? Um, uh, and then in terms of things we need help with, um, we are in like getting ready for scale mode. Um, yeah. we're about to have a fantastic holiday season with a few things coming up that I can't talk about, not because I can't talk about them, but because we are contractually obligated <laughs> not to talk about them. Ah, oh, darn. <laughs> <laughs> Those NDAs every time. Yeah, they get you. Um, but, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna propel us forward in a really remarkable way. And my hope is to grow the team and, and the product suite, uh, into 2021. And so that's everything from operational help to marketing help to, um, you know, uh, folks in the audio and, or the, the, the video space. So, um, yeah, send me an email, man. Uh, anybody, uh, I'm happy to, happy to converse with you. Awesome. And everyone check out a kid's book And I know we didn't get into much about circle. That could be another 
hours and hours. Maybe at some point we'll do a round two to talk about that as well. But I mean, this love what you're doing with the kids book about the mission. And I think people should check it out. Jelani, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.